Welcome to Between the Covers. I'm David Naiman, your host, and today's guest is China Mieville, the acclaimed writer of such works as Perdido Street Station, The Scar, and The City in the City. China Mieville's books have won the British Science Fiction Award, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, the World Fantasy Award, and the Hugo Award, and he's here today to talk about his new, much-anticipated book, Embassy Town. Welcome to Between the Covers, China. Thanks for having me. Well, maybe we can start by orient, orienting our listeners to uh, the scenario that, or the the world that you've created with Embassy Town. Um, sure, it's. I mean, basically, it's a story that's set uh, far in the future. Um, it's set on, a, on on an alien planet, which is uh, kind of a galactic backwater. It's kind of you know um, uh, the sticks, really, um, in, in, in space, uh, and it's about uh, a kind of very isolated human colony um, living among some very strange aliens called the Arieke or the hosts. Uh, and the, and then it goes into various kind of ruminations about language and and there's a you know political upheaval and a war and an apocalypse and all kinds of stuff um, around that kind of uh, that that basis of this isolated colony. What's really fascinating when you mention the issue of language, we have a lot of really bizarre and compelling uh, obstacles between the humans and the hosts in terms of how they can speak to each other. And when I think of um, a lot of dystopian books around. Um, the fate of books or the fate of literature, and you think of like Brave New World or Fahrenheit, uh, and Four, uh, yeah, four five one, four yeah, five one, right, and right. and you think even lately, um, super sad true love story about uh, a time when nobody's reading. Um, here we have sort of the opposite. We have where language has become so important to the survival of both species in a sense. Can can you talk about whether that was a conscious choice on your part? Well, I it, I mean, I, I'm very interested in questions of kind of language philosophy and so on. So I wasn't, I mean, it's interesting that that analogy you make, that, that comparison, I wasn't thinking in terms of the kindless, um, the, the, the kind of Jeremiads about the end of reading and the end of books and so on, which, which I always treat with immense skepticism, I have to say. I don't think reading's dying out. I don't think it's going to die out. I don't think books are going to die out. I, um, so, I, that, it, you know, I, that complaint seems to me to be more a kind of cultural symptom of something else than than a kind of rigorous um, prognostication. Um, but what I was very interested in was, uh, as I say, language philosophy and symbology and semiotics and that sort of thing. And so I was just kind of riffing off the idea of there being two species that have uh you know that appear to each other to be communicating in roughly the same way with something that they call language but are actually doing something completely philosophically different are relating their words themselves and the world into absolutely radically opposed ways so that all the communication that goes on is actually a kind of um a misunderstanding in a way um and i just really liked that idea and the you know the um the advantage of fiction in general and science fiction in particular is you can kind of play around with these quite abstract ideas and kind of embed them in a in a sort of literalized landscape so uh, have them at the same time as a kind of alien apocalypse novel you know so there are various kind of discussions about um you know how language works and how language might work and so on in the, in the book um because that kind of thing <laughs> was of great interest to me and when when you talk about two species with uh uh, thinking they're communicating, but actually there's a mutual misunderstanding. That reminds me of your book, The City and the City, a little bit in terms of two cities superimposed and and both 
cultures can't really see each other. And I was wondering if that is a, a reoccurring uh, place of interest for you, this, this threshold space or this liminal space where there's a sense of disconnect but also a sense of mystery between two different peoples or two different species. I guess, I mean, to some extent, sure. And I, I think probably, I, I, I honestly think that that's one of those things that someone like me is going to be the worst person to judge what's going on. I think that writers are often, you know, the last people to see the threads between various bits and pieces that they're doing. Um, certainly that question of kind of where the where one border begins and another ends and these kind of porous, you know, interstices and so on is something I've always been interested in, no question. Um, in terms of the question of kind of misunderstanding, I would make a distinction between um, you know, the misunderstandings that go on in Embassy Town are, are much more actually to do with, um, you know, utterly contradictory philosophies. It's as if two completely contradictory sets of physics impossibly coexist in the same universe. Um, whereas in The City and the City, it felt to me much more like a kind of extrapolation of the social logic of the world around us kind of exaggerated to a sort of slightly grotesque degree um so there are connections but i think there are probably at least as many differences as there are connections that's my intuition anyway well with the the language obstacles in the embassy town and one of the obstacles being that the hosts themselves can't actually say something that isn't true mm. and i i was wondering if, if there was some connection and you have a you have an epigram from Walter Benjamin at the beginning. If that goes back to the the story of Genesis at all, um, the idea that before people could conceive of an alternate reality when they're in the Garden of Eden, they also couldn't. Um, they had no self consciousness. They had no imagination in a sense, but they also didn't have the capacity to sin or to um, to do something um, morally wrong. Um. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, very simply, you know, as as I think the Walter Benjamin quote um, flags quite um, kind of uh, enthusiastically. Uh, the, the the I I'm not trying in the, in this novel. I was, you know, as I said, I was very interested in language, but not so much in kind of rigorous sociolinguistics as in a more abstract kind of philosophy of language, which does indeed dovetail with theological arguments about you know um you know the, the the whole you know question of the fall and and you know consciousness the tree of knowledge all that sort of thing you know i those things are definitely there for me and and quite quite explicitly and quite consciously and indeed are referenced in the novel um but uh you know I, i'm slightly as always i'm slightly nervous of sort of implying that the book um it, is you know kind of relies on a you know an enthusiastic understanding of that to work i mean you you have to make the fiction work as a story in its own terms so for readers that have no interest at all in such kind of you know biblical notions or um in some ways almost kind of gnostic notions there you know there is also i i would i would hasten to reassure that there is also you know zap guns and alien fights are plenty you know what i mean and that's what you can do in fiction you can have that both ways i think that's actually a really good point that you make because that is what i think is remarkable about this book is you could have one person who's not really that into science fiction who could totally geek out on the the language issue and dilemma in this book and someone else who's maybe not that interested in the language part who just is going to be thrilled by the the plot developments and the action from the science fiction perspective um 
Is was, was that intended on your part? It feels like it sort of straddles two two worlds of interest. In well, it wasn't intended in the sense that I didn't I didn't sort of sit there and think, okay, you know, now to snare the SF geeks and the non SF geeks, not <laughs> at all. But I I think. Um, I mean, you know, the reason I, you know, I love SF and fantasy and so on, and part of the reason is precisely that kind of oscillation of quite sort of um, quite serious, rigorous, um, abstract ideas and quite a kind of um, uh, vivid, you know, post-pulp narrative, you know. Um, So to me, that kind of simultaneous like uncontradictory having of that cake and eating it if you like has always been part of my draw for the whole field um now i'm i'm couldn't be more delighted if what you say is true i mean i i i very much hope that that does allow you know people uh, a way into to the books but i i don't i my sense is that i'm not doing anything that i haven't done before which is what i what i always do is i'm interested in these ideas in whatever it might be language here you know political juridical borders in the city and the city uh and at the same time i'm also interested in the kind of pulp appurtenances and the monsters and all that stuff um so uh it, as i say not a kind of conscious strategy but something that i would you know i very much hope is 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 the case and and i do want to be read as widely as possible and so i, I, I although i would never disavow my generic tradition i'm always very flattered when someone says i never normally read science fiction but i like your stuff now i'm not going to turn around and say well great i don't want anything to do with that science fiction muck either because this is the field i love and i come out of um but i'm also not embarrassed to say that of course i want to be read as widely as possible and that means not just traditional readers of sf in case you just tuned in you're listening to between the covers and we're talking today with china mieville china uh why don't we have you read a little a little section of embassy town for our, our listeners today Sure. This is a very, very short uh, moment, just the opening two paragraphs from uh, an early section of Embassy Town. When we were young in Embassy Town, we played a game with coins and coin-sized crescent offcuts from a workshop. We always did so in the same place, by a particular house, beyond the Rialto, in a steep-sloping back street of tenements where advertisements turned in colours under the ivy. We played in the smothered light of those old screens, by a wall we christened for the tokens we played with. I remember spinning a heavy two-sou piece on its edge and chanting as it went, turnabout, incline, pig snout, sunshine, until it wobbled and fell. The face that showed and the word I'd reached when the motion stopped would combine to specify some reward or forfeit. I see myself clearly in wet spring and in summer with a deuce in my hand, arguing over interpretations with other girls and with boys, We would never have played elsewhere, though that house about which and about the inhabitant of which there were stories could make us uneasy. That's very evocative. Uh, Let's, um, I wanted to ask you a question about craft. And um, it seems like in a lot of your books, you don't do a lot of backstory at the beginning. You you plunge people into this new world and um, sort of demand of the reader to piece it together as they go and, and to engage with with the the words, and I can say for myself that I find that when it finally clicks in, when you've gotten to the point where all of a sudden everything starts to make sense and sink in, it is actually quite rewarding. and And I was I was wondering if um, that craft decision to not sort of world build at the beginning with some sort of exposition, but to throw people into the in the scene, 
is that at all connected to your wish to to um, parse out uh, these disconnects of communication between peoples at the same time? Because in a sense, there's a disconnect at the beginning between the writer and the reader that then merges as as you get farther into the book. Uh, not at a conscious level, no. I mean, I think I think what it is is more a question of. In fact, I think there's something quite fruitful about that disconnect. That it's not a, it's not something to be, it, within the kind of formal level of the writing, the kind of you know fairly sort of deep end, kind of jumping in points. It, it, it's something I think that if 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 I do my job right, which is a, a separate question, but if I do it right, it allows you um, a certain kind of immersion which a more kind of sedate world building doesn't do, which is basically culture shock. And I'm really interested not only in culture shock as a sort of, as a, as a thematic, but in trying to kind of create a sense of culture shock among readers. And I really like the idea of a reader, you know, I I can only speak for myself, you know, but I very much like and always liked books in which I felt like I'd just got off the wrong aeroplane. I didn't know what was going on, and I trusted the writer to sort of slowly unfold, not even necessarily everything, but enough that I could stumble my way through the streets of wherever I was. And um, that sense that I think there's paradoxically more of a sense of totality and 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 a kind of vivid world when you don't feel like you know what's going on. Whereas if you kind of ploddingly talk people through everything, it becomes much more a question of sort of plot coupons than than a sense of inhabiting falling into an imagined landscape and the whole point of that imaginary world that the fantastic for me is about that moment of estrangement so i love that idea of uh, of culture shock being a kind of productive um <laughs> a kind of productive hermeneutic if you like there's there's an al- also a way in embassy town and how you describe uh the different alien species and structures where you give some description, but it feels like the things aren't entirely fully described. Mm. And I don't mean that as a criticism. Mm. I actually see it as a a way in which th- it adds a sense of mystery, but also a way for the reader's imagination to stretch forward into the words. And is that, an, is that actually an intentional technique on your part? Yeah, in this particular book, it was. I mean, most of my other, most of my earlier books, the, the Bass Lag um, books and various others, um, operated on a very different logic, whereby these things were quite carefully described so that the the way that that estrangement was uh, I I attempted to sort of kind of inculcate it was by a kind of quite meticulous itemization of the impossible whereas with this because it is written in the first person as the kind of memoir of somebody who inhabits a world that she takes for granted um, there's very much not that kind of walking through the specifics that, that you have to kind of I hope sort of glean your own sense of the of what these things look like and so on sort of behind the backs of the words themselves um and that was partly because thematically it is related to the whole question of language in the book and 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 its limits and partly um again something to do with that that culture shock thing that we were talking about whereby this is her world she is no more bothering to describe it than you are bothering to describe, you know, your favorite Portland bagel shop, you know, and yet if you've never seen a bagel shop before, that's going to be a really strange thing, you know what I mean? So that was the, you know, and that, that is, I wouldn't say it's a departure exactly, but that felt like something I was trying to stress in this book m- much more so than in the others, um, so that that sense of withholding was was quite deliberate. 
So we often hear when in your books, which, which I think are very interesting in the sense that they're both reviewed by um, mainstream publications, the New York Times or the, the Guardian, and also by by genre genre publications. You often hear the comp, the the purported compliment that you are um, transcending the genre, and I, I've read places where you uh, you maybe bristle at that a little bit, and 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 where the genre is a badge of honor. And I know that Ursula Le Guin, who, who lives here in Portland, um, she is, has campaigned a lot for the mm. respectability of, of science fiction. And even in her review of this book, had talked about how she you know, would hope that someday you'd win the booker and then the whole like, literary mm. hierarchy would sort of crumble in its silliness. W- can you talk about that debate? Is that something that... Um, you know, interests you, or mm. in, or or what do you think about these people who are talking about you transcending genre in, in a positive way? Well, as you say, I mean, as you say, it's normally meant very kindly. It's meant as a compliment, and so I think it would be a little bit divish to get really snippy about it. But what I would tend to sort of say is, you know. Uh, you know, thank you very much. I'm very glad you like the book, but I, I actually don't think it's transcending genre. I think it is very much a product of a set of genre protocols, and and that actually, what I think, you know, I mean, you know, between you and me, this is me talking to you now, not not me talking to our imagined interlocutor. You know, I think what people are saying when they when they say something like that is, you know, I liked this book, and I know by my own self definition that I am not a reader of science fiction. Ergo, this cannot be a science fiction book, um, and I would want to kind of gently prod away at that and sort of say you know actually probably what's more rigorous is the notion that you accidentally like the science fiction book and maybe you might like others too the stuff i mean the stuff that Le Guin said was you know ridiculously lovely and terribly moving to me but there is a serious issue about you know the, the, these kind of ongoing endless debates about genres i'm really interested in genres i like separate literary traditions i like the notion of genre as a kind of engine a set of i wouldn't say rules i would say protocols a set of traditions a set of understandings and thematics and i find them fascinating so i'm not someone who says there's no such thing as genre there's just good books and bad books i I think that's actually unhelpful because i think there are specificities to not hard and rigid, but specificities to the tradition of SF, to the tradition of crime, romance, and indeed, uh, you know, the, 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 the genre that we now think of, many of us, as literary fiction, which is a terrible, terrible name for what is essentially in much of its, in much of its uh, product, a genre. Um, so I, I, I think there is a kind of very unrigorous... Um, unthought-out approach to this question in a lot of these discussions, normally from people who think of themselves as not being interested in genre. Um, and I suppose I would want to, as non polishly as possible, sort of say, actually, I don't think that's really a rigorous way of thinking about it, and I don't think genre is anything to be scared of, and I think it is a not unuseful way to think about books. It's not the only way, it doesn't end the conversation, but I also think you can get at things with it that you can't get get any other things. The one caveat I'd want to add on all this is that we in the kind of geek world moan about this all the time, and I'm really bored of hearing us moan about it. And we're not wrong. The snobbery is very annoying, but it would be really nice if we had the self-confidence to to sort of not even rise above it, but kind of pick our fights a little bit and stuff. So I think it is a real issue, but I also think sometimes we don't help ourselves by a certain sense of uh, investment in our own embattledness. 
well, you, you mentioned that science fiction and other genres have some advantages over literary fiction. And um, turning that around and looking at some of them, what would mm-hmm. you consider the advantage of, of writing from the yeah. science fiction perspective? Well, I think most of the time what I would say is that, you know, I would try to be very kind of ecumenical and open-minded. And I would say that different generic traditions have different sets of tools that allow you to do different things. And not, you know, one is not better than the other. They're just different and they might be complementary. And I would I would say all that and I would mean it as far as it goes. But the the, the truth is there is also a part of me that that thinks on some level, I can't, I don't want to overstate it, but I have a a sense, I have an intuition that there is something specific about the fantastic which does get at the world in a way that the supposedly realistic does not. So I think, you know, I think the project of realism, the notion, uh, you know, and I don't say, you know, there are plenty of wonderful realist novels, let's not be foolish about this, but the notion that somehow you can represent reality in this highly artificial form and that you are in some way really reflecting or representing reality is very strange. It's a very strange project. Whereas it seems to me a kind of self-conscious sort of uh, embracing of the notion that there is something dreamed up and fantasticated about that kind of refraction of the real world. It's not reflected, it's refracted. uh, Means that you you can kind of, you can kind of, pick at the skin of the of the real world better on some level with the tools of the fantastic than you can um with 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 non-fantastic tools um and there's been a whole body of like theory and writing that kind of goes down this route um i say it tentatively because it's more of an intuition than a rigorous position but if i'm honest i do kind of i do have that sense there is supposedly a quote where adorno said that kafka was the only writer capable of the writing about the 20th century and i think if kafka had not written about you know if, if we think there's any mileage at all to that then it is something to do with the fact that kafka is describing somebody waking up as a giant cockroach that's writing about the 20th century in a way that had he been writing realist novels about the um you know the life of a neurotic jewish clerk in prague he would not have quite been doing so well so uh, with your body of work and we when people go back to the idea of genre categories and you've you've now done a science fiction book, you've done fantasy, you've done uh, detective, noir fiction, uh, but yet you sometimes describe your work as weird fiction. Mm. Um, perhaps all of those exa- are falling under that umbrella. Can you can you describe what you mean by weird fiction and where you would place yourself in that way and maybe give some exa- some good examples so people are like, oh. What's weird fiction and what other books could I read that are weird fiction? Well, that was uh, weird fiction was a term that I, you know, borrowed from the the tradition most obviously associated with writers like H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Clark Ashton Smith and Arthur Macken and Algernon Blackwood and William Hope Hodgson and others, which is essentially the reason writing from kind of the 1890s through to the 1930s. But the reason I like it is because it was a tradition that stressed the grotesque, but that also had a kind of blurry line between the fantastic and the science fictional, which is a division that some people are very invested in and that others of us, like myself, think is um, certainly at a kind of rigorous level a spurious distinction. I, I don't buy it. Um, 
And so something about a tradition that really kind of glories in that kind of blurriness, it was very attractive to me, very appealing. So um, that was one of the reasons that I kind of really enjoyed using that term. Um, and I think if I were starting now and I were writing something like Embassy Town, I it doesn't feel to me as overtly weird as the Bass Lag books, for example. But I do like that term, weird fiction. And so it is still something I'm quite happy to kind of cop to and defend, you know, um, always with the caveat that these things are always, you know, performances and ve- not vague, but sort of fuzzy, you know, fuzzy edges. So um, that was where it kind of came from. Um, partly a homage to these writers, partly a critique of these writers, and partly a, uh, a kind of engagement with the, with the always already blurriness of genres. Uh, just to switch the topic uh, a little bit, we, um, as an active member of the Socialist Party in England, um, I was curious if socialism, I mean, our station is definitely a left-leaning station, and our listeners might be interested to know if socialism plays any sort of role in your world building. It, it's obvious to me as a reader that it's not a, um, that you don't have some sort of agenda of, mm-hmm. of like some heavy-handed allegory regarding socialism, but does it play a role when you're thinking of um, class struggles or uh, other ways in which you, you try to imagine the power dynamic when you build a new universe mm-hmm. or a new world? Well, I mean, there's no question that sometimes, you know, I, I will think, you know, like the way I depict a strike, for example, is you know informed by the way i understand strikes which is a you know through the prism of my politics and so on I mean, there's no there's no secret about that you know um so i don't want to suggest that i mean sometimes the politics becomes quite overt if it is relevant for that narrative so iron council is 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 very explicitly political because the narrative itself is driven by political events it's about a political you know revolution um but i i think I think sometimes when people pose the question, I'm not saying you didn't do this, but there is a sense sometimes in the question, you know, how do your politics and your writing, that there's like this notion of there's the writer and then um, then there's the politics is a separate thing and then there's the fiction is a separate thing and like how do these two things interact? It's all much more like all the stuff I'm interested in is thrown into the washing machine that is my brain and it's put on spin. And then when you're trying to construct stuff, you reach in and you pull the stuff out and of course it's all mixed up. Um, that's not a problem. That's the way you you you, you create stuff, you know. Um, and it means... So the question of is it conscious or unconscious, in some ways not really, not really a kind of germane question. Of course I'm conscious that the way I think about the world is political. Um, but it is not a sort of cunning plan to smuggle stuff in. When Gene Wolfe writes about the world, the way he thinks about the world is heavily Catholic because he's a very devoutly Catholic writer. Um, And those themes are absolutely there. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to disagree with them to admire the works of art very much. Um, And, you know, so, so... to me, it, it simply doesn't come up as an issue to negotiate. There's never any negotiation involved. So for for people, for China Mieville fans, um, about wondering what's going to come out of the washing machine that's your brain next, um, are we going to expect a, another jump in genre next uh, next book? Um, I hope so. I like, 
I like mixing and matching and trying to do different things and so on. But I'm afraid I'm going to be really evasive because I'm quite superstitious about talking about work in progress. So I will say that I've got something that's nearly finished and that I'm doing the kind of big edit on now. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be out round about this time next year. But I think nothing could be more asking for trouble than to announce to the universe what it's about and the way it's written and so on. Um, because, you know, there's that there's the old you know there's the, there's the yiddish joke about how do you make god laugh you know um tell god your plans um so i feel a little bit like that about work in progress well it was a pleasure having you on uh between the covers today china and best of luck with embassy thank town you. thank you very much for having